Welcome to another podcast by Every Nation Brisbane. We're so glad you can join us here today. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at enbrisbane.org. Please enjoy the following message. Uh, Bishop Manny Carlos is a part of the Bishop's Council that oversees our churches uh, across, our Victory Churches, which are our Every Nation family across across the Philippines. And uh, for those of you who need a little bit more context, uh, their churches aren't this size. There are thousands and thousands of people that are worshiping across uh, the nation this morning and across the whole weekend, uh, of which uh, there are many churches across uh, the, all of the, the, the areas of the Philippines. And Bishop Manny is a part of uh, the pastors who, uh, the bishops who oversee those churches. For those of you who need a bit more of a definition of what a bishop is, because sometimes people ask, you know, Pastor Nelly, what's a bishop? Does that just mean they have better robes when they walk around? Uh, bishops are actually those, if, if you're from more traditional, um, context it's those who oversee a diocesis of of churches and in our context uh, Bishop Manny helps with a bishop's council to oversee those churches uh, that, that we have throughout the Philippines of which literally hundred thousand I don't know how many people are meeting throughout every every weekend um, and also he sits in a place of leadership within our movement of churches as well supporting Pastor Steve Murrell who is our our movement's president so he also helps as a council to, for, for him as well so we're really honored to have him but on more of a personal note um, I, I really honor uh, Bishop Manny for being a spiritual kuya to me for all the Filipinos in here kuya means big brother uh, uh, over many years, I've known Bishop Manny for 23 years now, and if I've known him for that long, uh, times that by almost two, and that's how long he's known my wife, Tina, because uh, he was also really good friends, and he is also really good friends with uh, her brothers growing up in the same, again, for the Filipinos in here, barangay, the same uh, village, or the same area uh, of, of, of where the houses are, and so they kind of grew up together. And so we're really honored to have him both as a leader in our movement and a, a friend, a, a dear big brother to me. And I know you're really going to glean a lot for your own life uh, and your own area because God has called us to be equipped as saints for the work of ministry as well. So won't you stand on your feet and give a warm Every Nation Brisbane welcome for Bishop Manny Carlos as he comes to deliver the word of God today. Come on, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much. Please Go ahead and take your seats. Uh, it's a really a joy and a privilege for me to be back here. This is my second time in Brisbane. I've been to Australia a few times. Earlier, there's a lot I could say, but I think the question earlier, what was the weirdest food you tasted, I think is the way to go, okay? And I know it's near lunchtime, so years ago when um, you know, I became a pastor, uh, you know, we started doing ministry, but I've never really been involved in a cross-cultural mission. Anyway, uh, my father died in 1990. It was a tragic point in our lives because, um, you know, I, I saw him die. We, I thought he was just going to get cancer treatment. He had a heart attack. Anyway, my, I don't know if this was God's way of comforting us, but I asked my friend, who was a fellow pastor, to, to have lunch with me during the wake. You know, there's a wake period in the Philippines where, you know, um, a few days... Um, several days before you bury. And while we were eating at a pizza place called Shakey's, um, uh, that's in the Philippines, I think it's a U.S., uh, and I think they named it because the guy who was started it in the, in, in the States had a 
condition. I think he came from the bar. It was an injury, and he would go into shake. So he called it shakies, okay? Anyway, while we were eating there, just comforting myself with comfort food, lo and behold, we find out, that, and I treated my, brother, my friend, so I guess I get the credit. We won a free trip ticket to Hong Kong, okay, two for two. So it was logical that I would invite him. I wasn't married then yet, I think. Yeah, I wasn't married then yet. I would have treated my wife, but since he was the one who ate with me, so let's go to Hong Kong. And while we were there in Hong Kong, I've been to Hong Kong once, but it wasn't a, um, it was just staying in the home of uh, a sister's friend, a sister's, a friend's sister, okay? And when we arrived, we found out that there's an opportunity to minister, uh, to minister to the Chinese church by smuggling Bibles into, from Hong Kong into, uh, there's a name of a city. Um, anyway, it's just right across the border. And during the time, we didn't know that that was an opportunity. And of course, we love the Chinese church. And by smuggling Bibles, you could help them. These were and so during the gathering, we met Christians from all over the world, and we were all praying that God would give us success. And anyway, and the posture of these people was just a great humility. It's like, Lord, you know, please make a way for us. And, you know, my friend and I, proud as we are, said, man, these prayers are shy prayers. And so when we prayed, Lord, we believe, you know, they're going to do this. So it was audacious, audacious prayers. Anyway, when the time came for us to bring the Bibles, so we would go through the, uh, you know, those x-ray tests, I mean, x-ray machines. It was a land, it wasn't an airplane, but the moment those guys stepped uh, into the, I mean, the machines, their bags would pass and they wouldn't see the Bibles. Wow. Man, this is a miracle. And certainly it was. And when it came to our turn, the moment we brought the Bibles, they discovered the Bibles. <laughs> Open. So we were, needless to say, we were humbled by our bold, audacious prayers. Now, there's a place for that, right? I mean, and there's a place for humility. And we honor those Christian brothers who, just by simple prayer, help the Chinese church grow. Now, that's not my main point. That was the reason. But when we first came into Hong Kong, we were hungry, okay? That's the whole point. And we decided to go to a dim sum place. You know what dim sum is? You know, it's those dumplings, right? And so my friend and I, uh, you know, we're familiar. I mean, Filipinos eat Chinese food. We have a lot of nice Chinese restaurants. So we didn't figure we were going to have a problem. So when we went to the Chinese dim sum place, we saw this lady, old lady, bring a dim sum cart. And we waved to her. We said, uh, uh, I pointed to, uh, to the dim sum uh, baskets, you know, those small things. And I said, is this chicken? And to my shock, she started speaking to me in Cantonese. And I mean, she was speaking. Oh, I don't know Cantonese whatsoever. And so, oh man, I'm, we're hungry. We want to communicate with this lady, and we didn't know how to. And so I was trying to figure out chicken, chicken. How do you say chicken in, in Cantonese? And so after a while, I said, okay, Lord, I know this is going to sound strange, but I talked to, the, I waved to the lady, I pointed to the dim sum and said, bok, 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 bok. And to my wonderful surprise, the lady said, oh, yeah. and then I pointed to the other dim sum cart, and she nodded her head too. So we had pork and chicken dim sum, hallelujah, for lunch. Now, why am I saying that? <laughs> There's a point. The point is, 
when you somehow manage to get out of your comfort zone and extend whatever it is that you want to accomplish and go beyond just familiarity with your own culture, interesting things can happen. And that's what we're going to find out from this text that we're reading. And this is so important as I've sought God and then talked with Pastor Nelly, what would be good for you as a Every Nation Church in Brisbane to be able to come away with, and it's always wonderful. I mean, you have beautiful worship in this place. And I said, thank God for the freedom you have in the same way that our nation has the freedom to worship. Aren't you glad that when you step into here, you lift up your hands, nobody's going to open the door and arrest you. You do that in China, they will. In the Middle East, they will. So I hope you don't take for granted this freedom we have. Okay? So anyway, um, we're going to find a story of a people willing to go beyond their comfort zone and see the wonderful thing that took place as a result. And I'd like to read from the book of Acts. I've entitled this, The Antioch Strategy, God's Grace at Work. And you'll see this um, as we read the story. Acts 11 Verse 19, this is what it says. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to Hellenists also. So this was them stepping out of their comfort zone, talking to non-Jewish people to share the gospel. Also preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And the hand of the Lord was with him, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, for a whole year he met with the church and taught a great number of, a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. 13 verse 1. Now there were staying in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of, friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The church in Antioch, in a way, could be called an accidental church plant. Why? Because as we read, the Jews, Jewish believers, not just Jews, because there were Jews, but they were not all believers. They still needed to put their faith in Christ. And what happened was, because of the persecution in Acts chapter 6 and 7, when Stephen was martyred, they all had to flee because it was getting, you know, it was getting difficult in Jerusalem. The, the, the apostles still stayed. But God's intention anyway from the very beginning was for them to go. And this is another message in and of itself. You know, the Lord is so desirous of saving people that he will send us. He will send us in two ways. He will send us like an ambassador that's in Luke chapter 10. Or he will send us as if we're being thrust out. 
And so the question is, okay, so again, it doesn't mean that you won't live here in Brisbane anymore if you're going to follow Christ. But sending out to a place beyond your comfort zone to just the people that you're familiar with or comfortable with. So that's the implication. So he can send you out or he can cast you out. All right. Anyway, that was what happened here. They were sort of, you know, we cast out. But some of them, because they're really, their hometown was in those places that we mentioned, Cyrene, Antioch, uh, Cyprus. So they just probably went back to their own hometowns. And so they started sharing the gospel. And as I said, it was primarily to Jewish communities. Because remember, Jews had been scattered all over. And God did promise, Jesus did promise, he'll save the Jew, then the Gentiles. So it's both. So here, they were sharing the gospel. And then some of them... Somehow, well, I don't think we should not just limit, I mean, we shouldn't just limit the gospel to Jews. Let's read to Gentiles. And when they did that, something phenomenal happened. The Hellenists, the Gentiles, Greek peoples under Roman Empire, remember it was an interesting setup then. They were Greeks, Greek culture in a Roman-dominated empire. They began to believe in the Lord Jesus. And so this is what uh, was happening here. We're reading. And I, I think there's a lesson here. There are times when we don't always have the ability to plan. Well, let me rephrase it. We make plans with our lives, and sometimes it doesn't turn out the way we had, had intended. Does that, has that happen? It happens to all of us all the time. But when things seem to take a detour, you turn out, it turns out later on that that was God's orchestration to bring you into his purposes. That's why Christianity is an adventure. Because what you think is your own limitation is God's orchestration to bring you to his plan and purpose. And so here, that's what happened. And um, Now, it's interesting that this place, Antioch, is a very strategic place. It's either the third or the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire, after Rome and then Alexandria. And so because of its size, of its uh, economic stature, it was like a free city. And the Roman government gave them a free hand to be able to, to run the city. So there was freedom. And so it made it attractive for people from different cultures to congregate there. In fact... Um, uh, Craig Keener, a scholar, said, you see a rapid development of the gospel from a relatively rural area called Galilee to an urban area called Jerusalem to a cosmopolitan area, Antioch being one of them. And I learned something new. Uh, the word cosmopolitan, every time I hear that word, it makes me think, well, this is probably fashion magazine, right? I don't read those, okay? Just, just for the record, I mean... Uh, I'm not fashion conscious. I like the way my simple life's clothing, okay? As long as it's decent. And uh, anyway, I didn't want to go there. <laughs> Why did I get there? I think it's the coffee. Brisbane coffee is different. Okay, anyway. What's my point? Cosmopolitan apparently doesn't mean being fashionable. If you look at the definition, cosmopolitan means the ability to relate with people from different cultures. That sure sounds like, like Brisbane, right? or Melbourne, where I came from, cosmopolitan means being able to relate with many cultures. And Antioch was such a city because of the economic freedom. And because of that, this is really the point, 
there were many, um, there was a freedom to share about the different religions. In fact, the, the temple of Apollo was there in Antioch, one of the temples. And what's fascinating is this, there was also a big group of Jewish believers there. Now you have to understand, most of the Greco-Roman world was polytheistic. The worship of many gods. The Jewish faith, on the other hand, was monotheistic. And when you have a multicultural and po- uh, 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 multicultural context, guess what happens? This is interesting. Christianity actually becomes very attractive. And we could go into that. If you line up all the teachings and the doctrines of every religion, so we're not in competition, <coughs> but you'll find out Christianity makes a whole lot of sense. Not just in its doctrines, but in its, the life that you live. And so in a way, I, I, you know, I'm not an apologist. Uh, there are people who do that. So I want us to understand in a multicultural setting, we have something to share that the world can benefit from. So let's put it that way. We're not trying to compete or put down religion. We're trying to exalt the person and the work of Christ. And so my point is that it became a, a very strategic place and the gospel was well received. What is the gospel? We know the gospel is the good news that God became human in the person of Christ. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died in our place. He rose again from the dead, uh, proving that he was a son of God and sin could not hold on him. And people who put their faith in him, turn away from their sins, receive eternal life. Is that good enough, Pastor Nelly? Okay. I didn't memorize it, but that's what Pastor Rice said. All right. Thank you. So that's really the gospel. Gospel is not a religion, Christianity. It's a relationship. It's not just a set of rules to follow. And most people think of Christianity as that. No. Uh, And I I think I was talking to a a lady. Uh, She's not here. I think she doesn't mind me saying this. Bella. Do you realize the Bible... The Bible is not so much a rule book, but a love letter. And she I like that. Anyway, so the gospel began. And so they sent Barnabas there, one of the Jewish uh, leaders. And when he went to Antioch, he said he saw the evidence of the grace of God. And that's fascinating because the word grace, of course, means God's undeserved favor towards humans. Uh, somebody said it this way, you can spell, grace can be an acronym for God's riches at Christ's expense. I like that. So, they saw the evidence, and that's a strange thing. It's a spiritual uh, observation, but what was it? Was it their clothing? Was it their, no, it was the way perhaps that they started really, um, relating with one, with one another. And so he decided to, to, to stay there to help encourage and raise up the leaders. And I want us to understand, this church has the grace of God all over it. You sense the presence of God, but what is the grace also uh, look like? And that's what we're going to be learning from this. We have four ways that the grace of God was evident and manifested in the church. And I'd like to believe that that's also true of this. And hopefully, we can begin to walk in 
that which God's grace is being released upon you as a people. And so my point is, he brings Saul into the picture. Who was Saul? Saul had gotten saved in Acts 9, a zealous a Pharisee who wanted to persecute the church, but Jesus appeared to him and it totally changed his life. And that's really what happens. Whether it's dramatic or not, when you encounter Christ, you're never the same person again. And so religion is not just trying to do better. It's meeting Christ. When you meet Christ, you'll want to follow him because he has the words of life. And so here, Paul had been converted, but uh, there was something about Saul, rather, who eventually became, Saul was his Jewish name. He eventually became known as Paul, as we will read later, because Paul was his Roman name. And that's interesting because his ministry, though he was a trained Jew, this is the, this is the big question mark. Paul would have been perfect to reach the Jews in, 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 in Judea at that time, but he ended up being in Gentiles. Why? Because he was culturally, a, not, he was not just a Roman citizen, but he was trained uh, in, in the culture. And that's something important for you and me, because yes, we're followers of Christ, but we're thrust into a world that somehow the world wants to observe you and me and see how do we live our lives as Christ followers. And I'd like to think that we all can be that effective witnesses wherever God's place you, in the academe, in the marketplace, in your community, in your campus, wherever God's placed you. So they sent Paul, and eventually they stayed there for a number of years. And the other thing I wanted to just make before I give my points, Barnabas, in a way, discovered Paul. And you'll find as the uh, chapters progress, Paul becomes more prominent as the Gentile ministry spreads. And after a while, you see a subtle shift. The apostle, I mean, Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, first it was Barnabas and Paul and Saul, and then he became Paul, and then eventually it became Paul and Barnabas. And then after a while, you see Barnabas fade away. Now, that doesn't mean that he fell away from God. It just means Paul's ministry was the highlight. And I want to say that there's a lot we owe to Paul because Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. We can be thankful for this uh, man. And the way they describe him, he's like, you know, this is not in the scriptures, but he was kind of a small frame, you know, a bit balding. No offense to those who, you know, don't have much hair. I want us to know, you know, Pastor Steve, who's our founder, has lost his hair. He said, I'm not losing hair, I'm gaining face, okay? <laughs> Thank you. All right. Anyway. <laughs> So Paul didn't seem to be of much stature, but he was so powerful in his writings. I'm saying that to make the point that Paul gets a lot of credit, but do you realize without Barnabas, Paul wouldn't rise up. And you know, I've learned this about the kingdom of God. Sometimes you're in the forefront, sometimes you're on the sides, but regardless of what your stature is, um, you'll find <clears throat> that the kingdom of God is advanced, okay? I already stopped smoking 30 years ago, okay? And I want to encourage you, whether in the forefront or whether in the back, as long as God's kingdom is advanced, we all get rewarded for our labor. And that's the beauty of the faith of Christianity. It's not about who's up front. It's about Christ being lifted up. And we all do our part. So anyway, let me share with you four 
manifestations or evidences of the grace of God that we see in the church in Antioch. Number one is spiritual equipping, spiritual edification and equipping of the saints. Notice here that the names of, um, he says in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. What are prophets and teachers? There are two of the indicated ministry gifts that are given by God. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit, but it's a gift coming from Christ himself as the head of the church. If you read, uh, let's read Ephesians chapter 11, chapter 4 rather, verse 11. It says this, And he, meaning Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. If you read further on, it says, so that we may grow and mature. The way God brings, you know, when you come to faith in Christ, when you come to faith in Christ, you start off literally like a spiritual baby. Remember, it's like we're being born again. And God does a work of nurturing and growing and maturing us. And part of that maturing is to be equipped now, when we say equipped, most of us think of the word equip as trained. And sure, that involves. But you're going to find something interesting about equip that you may have not heard before. But the point is this. As you're equipped, then you do the works of the ministry. Our goal, and I can say that because we're part of this global movement, is not just for you to be fed, to be res- uh, and you see this, to be equipped, but for you to be able to serve as members of the body of Christ. One of the amazing metaphors Paul uses for the church is like, is that of a human body. He says we're a body with a member with many parts. You know, all of us have parts of our body, isn't it? We have eyes, we have ears, we have feet, we have, you know, toenails. I mean, we have all these kinds. Do you realize how important a toenail is? Have you ever had a nail pulled out? Okay, you understand the importance of a toenail, right? (laughs) So, and... We're all called to function in our part. And I said this, I think, yesterday. The wonderful part of being part of a body, the local expression, which is the church and other churches, of course, many, is every time you're part of a body, there's a dual thing that happens to you. You receive and you give. It's a two-way street. So that's the wonderful part. And that's where the life of Christ is manifested. If all you do is receive, I think I said this yesterday, you know what you end up as? You end up as a cancer cell. Because a cancer cell, as I remember from science, is a cell that doesn't have any function. It's a de-differentiated cell. It has, it's just a blob. It's not a blood cell. It's not a skin cell. It's not an eye, uh, you know, optic nerve cell or whatever part. And so that's what happens. So you're equipped. So you can mature. This word equipped, I shared this in the first service. I'm not a Greek scholar, but when you reflect on the etymology of the word, you find something interesting. The word is katartismos, and its usage, uh, again, you know, this happens in English, this happens in whatever language you're in, this happens in Tagalog. There's many ways you can use a particular word. So a word doesn't have meaning by itself, but it's in application. So every time you use a word, try to bring application. So, katartismos uh, is equipping, but because it has other usages, it gives us an understanding of the richness of that word. What are the two ways katartismos is actually used as well? It's used in two ways. It's used two other ways. It's used in when a bone is, that's broken is set in place. 
It's kind of like putting it in a cast so that it begins to heal. So something broken that's healed and it's actually used as well of mending a net that's been ripped. When you're being equipped, what the Lord wants to do metaphorically is to set in place whatever's been broken and to mend whatever's been ripped. There was a young couple in our church, uh, Pastor Nelly and Tina know them, uh, Jonathan and Karina Henson. They're, Jonathan is the son of Pastor Jojo Henson. He's, uh, he's a prophet. When they got married, it was a wonderful thing. I think we were in their wedding, I remember. And within, after a year or two perhaps, they, she got pregnant. Hallelujah. I think midway, about five, six months into the pregnancy, she has a miscarriage. So needless to say, she was pained, brokenhearted. Uh, if you've experienced that, I, I think you can identify with it. If you've not, I think we all understand the pain of loss. And there was one moment as, you know, she was asking God for healing. You know, the Lord healed them, yes, emotionally. But there was a moment in time she said this. She was describing to us uh, a, 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 a tender moment. It's like she was praying to God. She was worshiping. And she was trying to imagine she folded up her arms, imagining the baby that she would have had. And she was saying, Lord, how I long for my arms to hold up a baby. And right there and then, the Lord spoke to her. Something she didn't expect. Yes, daughter, I understand. Your arms want to hold the baby. But do you realize there are many, many babies who don't have mothers and hold their arms. I mean, whose arms are there to hold them. And right there and then, she realized God spoke to her to adopt a baby. And so it took a while for them to discuss it. But long and short of it, they decided to adopt. And she was a wonderful blessing. Probably less than a year from the time they adopted, she gets pregnant and she gives birth to a son. So now they have an adopted baby and their own natural born son. And I find that interesting. I've seen that happen a number of times in our own context. I guess God, like, I, I love parents who adopt children. I mean, they have large hearts. That's what I say. Because sometimes it takes grace, isn't it, to do that. Sure, it's easy to love people who are born from you, but those not born. So anyway, I think they have three children now. So two natural born, one adopted. But along the way, the process of adoption opened her eyes to something. See, there are many orphanages in the Philippines. And what happened was, apparently, if a baby is not adopted within the first few months or even the first five to seven years of the child, most likely that child will never be adopted or put in a home. And so they end up growing in the orphanage until they're 18 and then they're released in the Philippines. So I don't know how it is here. So it, you can imagine, she saw firsthand perhaps the sense of abandonment or disappointment of babies or growing up young people who never end up in a home. Because that's a longing, isn't it? To have your own home. To be part of a home. So right there and then the Lord spoke to her to come up with an adopting agency. And it's been up and running. I just spoke to her the other day. Someone's making a wonderful donation to provide the place. But what she also discovered was this. And that's when I really felt like I think we need to help her do something beyond just you know, helping. She realized 
that people, many children who are adopted, end up being human or sex trafficked, at least in the Philippines. So we realize this is more than just finding false. It's also preventing a huge criminal activity that's besetting our nation. God will use even the point of brokenness in your life to bring healing to you so that the very pain you've experienced can be a point of ministry calling for your life. Come on, let's give the Lord praise for that. Amen? Number two. Number two is spiritual sensitivity through times of worship and fasting. You know, fasting was a rare practice in Greek culture, more than an act. And for Jews, mourning in Jewish, it's a Jewish practice to mourn. But for followers of Christ, fasting is really an act of devotion and humility. Now, again, I don't, uh, I fast as an act of devotion. I mean, left to myself, I love to eat. As I said in the first service, I'm called the Bishop of Barbecue, okay? Um, that's what Pastor Steve told me. I follow in the footsteps of Pastor Jim Lafoon, our senior prophet, and uh, Pastor Joey Bonifacio likened fasting. Uh, you have fasting here at the beginning of the year, right? Okay, good. Fasting, according to Pastor Joey, is like a bride who's about to get married and she goes on a diet because she wants to fit in her gown. So I hope that gives you a sense why we fast. Do you, rem- do you realize what it, what's, what's the very first sin in the Bible? It was eating. But the wonderful thing is the first thing we're going to do when we meet Jesus is a wedding banquet. Hallelujah. Does that give you now perspective, okay? You're looking at me strangely, okay? I better move on. It says they were fasting. Greeks don't fast. Jews fast. But Christians fast out of devotion, as I said. And worshiping. And I, your pastor is a prolific worship leader. I found something interesting as well. The, the limited Greek I know. The word Worshipping is the word liturgeo, where you get the word liturgy. And apparently liturgy speaks of an official function of a priest. In the Bible, we're called priests of Christ. We, and what is a priest? A priest is an attendant of an official. That's what. So do you realize, you may have never thought of it, every time you come here to worship service, you lift up your hands, you sing songs of adoration, you're actually doing an official function. How about that? It's a position of dignity. Uh, Last year, we had the opportunity to interact with some ambassadors from the Philippines. A member of our church lives in a plush village called Forbes. And she hubbed the hub now because during the pandemic, they met all these ambassadors, uh, you know, while they were walking because she couldn't go out. So they invited us to join dinner, and the ambassador from France, Philippine ambassador, the Swiss embassy uh, of uh, the ambassador, and the papal nuncio, the ambassador of Vatican to the Philippines, were all there. And they invited me, and wonderful people. You know, I, I wasn't intimidated. I'm just, I don't know why our friend would invite us. Uh, anyway, the papal nuncio asks me to be the one to pray for the food. Wow. I mean, she must probably be an archbishop or a cardinal. I think he's a cardinal. So I felt like, well, I'd rather you pray. Nobody said, no, you pray. And of course, I prayed a blessing. 
And we had a wonderful fellowship. What am I, what's my point? The point is, when you relate with these ambassadors, they're just really ordinary people. They're just like you and me. They have families. They have aspirations. They have frustrations. They have anxieties. Okay. They're ordinary people in a dignified position. Sorry. They're dignified people, dignified position, ordinary people. Guess what? We're ordinary people with a dignified position as worshipers. What a privilege we have to minister, to be attendants and representatives of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But my point is this. It was in that setting when they began to hear the instruction of God. God uses times of worship. I hope every time you come here, you hear the whisper of God or maybe the instructions of God. That's what happens when you allow yourself to be uh, a minister to the Lord. We're not just doing this for entertainment, folks. We're doing this to attend, to honor the creator of the universe. And when God is pleased, he gives us his instructions, his directions, his word of refreshing. Number three, and I'll try to end quickly, is spiritual direction for kingdom advancement. While they were worshiping, the Lord said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas to work the work I've called them. They've received fresh instruction. Now they were established leaders there, but now they were being sent to go out. And what's amazing is this was going to be the first of three great missionary journeys from Acts 13 to Acts 19. It's like the gospel really began to spread. What seemed like an ordinary encounter with God began the greatest missionary journeys in the New Testament, at least. And I want us to understand this as well as we reflect on this for our lives. You know, your being part of this community gives you an opportunity, yes, to serve, yes, to enjoy. But if you will allow God, He will begin to redirect your life, not necessarily to go to a different city, but to go in your city and reach people you probably wouldn't normally relate with, as we learned. And what I found was in this, in this reflection that, um, let me read, that your simple act of devotion can lead to literally the world being changed. And it's not to put this on you. It's like, no, just live your lives. You know, what's amazing, I talked to Pastor Nelly. We have a brother who I prayed for here who's from Brazil. I don't know if he's here. Are you here? Oh, he's working. Okay. He's preparing our lunch. Hallelujah. He's a chef. Okay. Anyway, man, Brazil is a fantastic country. It's 200 plus million people. We met a lady also from France. You know, and it's, sort of, it's like people from nations are here and seemingly just ordinary people, but yet you could sense there's going to be something that they will do for the kingdom. That's what the beautiful thing about this place. And I guess a point I wanted to add, sometimes when you get instructions from God, you don't always get the full. It's not like a job description. This is what you're going to do. And you'll find that your faith, as you live it out day by day, becomes, as I said, an adventure because it's a little here, a little there. And then before you know it, you're already thrust into something wonderful. Some of you are going to start ventures. Some of you are going to start new works. Some of you are going to start new ministries. Some of you are going to go to different places. But that's what happens in an atmosphere of worship. And finally, number four, and I'll end with this, is 
spiritual authority over powers of darkness. We won't read the text anymore, but if you read it, Paul and Barnabas were sent to uh, another place. I, uh, it's an island. I think it was the island of Paphos. And they encountered, they were ministering to the proconsul, a government official. And then there's this dude, a false prophet, who was trying to dissuade the proconsul from believing because apparently he was, had the ear. And Paul, sent by the Spirit, rebuked him and said, you're going to be blinded because you're opposing the gospel. And then he became blind temporarily. You know, he, after a while, he, I think he regained his sight. I guess he had the fear of God. And my point is this. Sometimes when we do the work God's called us, you know, we're gracious. We want to be kind. But you will encounter opposition. And remember, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. People are not our enemies. Spiritual powers are. And if you've lived long enough as a Christian, you'll find that there is something that resists who you are. To discourage you, to marginalize you, to afflict you, and all those kinds. You have to remember, God's given us His full armor. And that's another subject in and of itself. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but can't throw you in hell. Be afraid of someone. Demons are real. Spiritual powers are real. But they're defeated by Christ. They'll deceive you. They'll oppose you. They'll resist you. But they cannot overcome you. Once you give your life to Christ, God's delivered us from the power of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Now, there's going to be a battle sometimes. That's why we need to pray. I know sickness and disease is one of the things He does often. But God's given us the covenant of healing. Sometimes He'll throw uh, economic lack. and There's so many things He'll try to throw at you. But every, for every weapon the enemy throws, there's always an arsenal available. But we need to know what those are and fight together. Do you know how the Romans won? I'm sure you've seen that. I don't know if there's a Netflix movie on that. You know what the Romans would do? It's fascinating. You know, the weaponry they developed was they lifted up their shields and locked those shields together. Have you seen that? It's like an it's like a tank. And they would, the enemies would throw their spears, their rocks. All they do is they, they, it's like a phalanx of, of soldiers with their shields in front and up. And they would inch their way into the... And they would throw everything, but they wouldn't. And they just stand their ground. Ephesians says, put up the shield of faith. After every, done everything, stand. Do you realize if you just stand... You're going to win. Hallelujah. Because Jesus has already won. I wasn't planning on sharing that, but I feel like as we close, God wants us to realize there are battles up ahead. Don't be afraid of the battle. Because unlike the battles that the Israelites faced in the wilderness to defend themselves, the battles that you face in the coming days is to conquer. Hallelujah. Come on. God has something great for you to do as a church. Be ready because you're going to take possession of God's inheritance for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the, the stirring that you're doing. Lord, what a wonderful group of people. There's, there's much love and grace in this church. It's evident. But there's something more that you want to do in this hour. Yes, you're fashioning them as a net to catch the harvest. Yes, you're making them shepherds just like Pastor Nelly and Tina and the rest of the leaders. But Lord, I sense as well the spiritual battles up ahead. 
are because you want to take possession of the inheritance of this that's in this city. Do that work in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give God praise one more time for that amazing challenge? Uh, before we enter into a time of worship, I really believe like God is activated uh, within us, whether it's uh, a specific calling or, or uh, maybe God's calling you to step out of your comfort zone to, to be uh, one who would be a part of this Antioch strategy. I'll just go through these points again. Uh, as we allow God's grace to manifest in us, we want to see spiritual edification and equipping of the saints. I mean, that catatismos point, you know, I really believe that God wants to help bring realignment and mend even our relational nets. Maybe there's offenses that God is calling you to see uh, healing and restoration within those relationships, nets that have been ripped. Uh, spiritual sensitivity through times of worship and prayer and fasting. I just sense the Spirit of the Lord saying to us as a church to slow down for union with God, because often we rush through things to take our time with Jesus. And there's nothing, uh, I remember hearing a, a, a dear friend say, there's, uh, time of God is never wasted. So waste your time on God. So that's the invitation I sense him doing uh, this morning, uh, spiritual direction for kingdom advancement. And I agree prophetically that there, God is releasing callings to step out, not just in vocational ministry like myself and Bishop Manning, but uh, for those of us who are called into the entrepreneurial realm, into government, into education, into uh, uh, arts and, and creativity and science and literary arts. I just believe that God is releasing that calling even for uh, sports as well, not just to be on the field, but ones who own the field. In Jesus' name. And then lastly, spiritual authority over powers of darkness. If any of those points resonate with you and maybe God is shifting your uh, your heart this morning, can we just stand to our feet really quickly, all of us? And if that's you this morning, can you just lift your hands and surrender to him? Maybe he's calling things out from you. If he's... If he's uh, if he's desiring for you to surrender the, these things. And if you're around people with their hands up, if they'll let you just, just uh, put your hands on their shoulders and let's stand in agreement as a spiritual family to see us released as the Antioch here in Brisbane. God, we thank you so much that you are releasing your people, Lord God, to operate in that freedom for whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I thank you for your promise that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I thank you that your spirit is here transforming lives to help see transformation in the lives of others, God. I thank you that even around us, there are so many people who don't know you yet, that with our hands lifted, Lord, that you may operate in us to operate through us to see transformation happen in their lives. In Jesus' name, use us to be the salt and light of the world. Jesus. We hope you've enjoyed today's message brought to you by Every Nation Brisbane. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at ianbrisbane.org. Thank you for listening. God bless.